good morning, Nona Church family. So happy to have you here today. Hey, can we put our hands together and welcome those that are joining us online today? So thankful to have you with us. So glad that you're tuning in, but I'll tell you, nothing quite beats being in the room. We'd love to see you here on a Sunday very, very soon. Hey, my name's Colin. I serve as a lead pastor here at Nona, and if this is your first time here at Nona, we want to say welcome. We'd love to be able to hear a bit more about your story and get to know you. I'll be up front after service and would love to be able to just take a moment to hear a little bit more about how you heard about this church and uh, what your experience was like, and be sure to pick up your free gift on the way out as well. I want to give you a quick update on something that I think is important for you. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we uh, launched uh, our outreaches and our focus uh, for 2023 when it comes to short-term trips. And so many of you have signed up to engage uh, in short-term trips around the world with our global partners. Can we celebrate that, those that are willing to take that next step? Um, if you are a part of, uh, in, in, have interest in going on one of these trips or want to be a part of what God is doing, uh, keep your eye out. Uh, there's going to be some correspondence that's uh, happening over the next couple of weeks, uh, helping put these teams together. And so if you check your email, continually look at your inbox, uh, but we want to begin to take this large group of people that said yes and help us find our teams so that we can jump in and get engaged. Well, today we're wrapping up a series that we have titled The Way We Change. Would you say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. The Way We Change. And this series has been really helpful, I think, for us in the month of February to consider what does it look like uh, to change in the way that God invites us uh, to change. There's a lot of ways that culture says we should change or transform. And oftentimes that leaves us frustrated, disappointed, maybe even angry because what they said was going to work didn't work. That new product didn't change the game for us. That new masterclass didn't fix our financial situations. That uh, new thing that we would purchase uh, didn't help us lose the pounds that we thought we were going to lose. And what we've learned in this series is that God has a very different way of thinking about change, a very different way uh, of thinking about what it looks like for us to be people that over time become who he has designed us to be. In week one, we talked about this. We said that change isn't a me thing or a he thing, but change is what? Change is a we thing. And last week, we looked at the fact that lasting change doesn't begin with our actions, but lasting change actually begins with our thoughts. Because our thoughts lead to our actions, our actions lead to our habits, our habits lead to our lifestyle, and our lifestyle leads to our legacy. So if we can change our thoughts, we might even be able to change our Legacy. And last week we talked about this, right? That what we consume, what we allow uh, in our life has a profound effect on what comes out of our life. That for many of us, there's some things that we need to remove and also replace with what God has desired for us. Uh, but today as we wrap up this series, I, I want to move us, if I can, from a strategy and approach that God gives us, which is, hey, if I change my thoughts, I can ultimately change my legacy, uh, to leaning into, I think, the question that all of us have experienced or felt at some point in time. So I'm going to ask you to do something if this is just where you've been, all right? If you have ever set out to change something in your life, and then something happened where, where uh, your schedule looked different or what you thought it was going to look like began to shift. A quick raise of hands. It should be everybody in the room here. Have you ever been in a situation where you tried to change something and then found out that you weren't able to change it? Anybody? Yes? Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Good. We've all been there, right? So what I want to talk about today is the experience we've all had, which is, well, the Peloton streak has ended and the streak is actually 
a lot longer than the streak we had before, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Um, our farm formation journals, man, we had those in the first two weeks of January, and now we're like, where is that thing that Colin keeps on talking about, right? Yeah. We know that we're supposed to romance our spouse, but it's been years since we've gone on a date. Like, we know we're supposed to, but, but it just doesn't happen anymore. And we kind of say to ourselves when people talk about date night, oh, it's not big of a deal. Like, I know that you need a date night, but, but we're, just, we're, just, we're just better than that, right? Like, that kind of place, right? Yeah, you know who you are, right? The gym membership card hasn't been swiped. We've gone back to that website. We vowed that we wouldn't. We had a little bit too much to drink when we promised we would never do that again, and then we went on that cruise, right? We broke a dating boundary. It was free. We broke a dating boundary, and we said that we wouldn't. I want you to know, if you find yourself in this place feeling this tension of, man, I'm trying to change, and I want to change, but I struggle to see lasting change in my life, you're not alone. In fact, Paul, Paul who writes over half of the New Testament, Paul who many of us would consider to be the greatest theologian of our time, who planted churches throughout the Mediterranean Rim, who is the reason in many ways that we have a picture and an understanding of what we call the gospel message. Paul himself discloses in Romans chapter 7 his very own struggle with this particular reality. The tension between between our desire to change and our strength to be able to change. If you have a Bible today, we're going to be looking at Romans 12 and Romans chapter 7 and laying these two scriptures out parallel towards one another. But listen to what Paul says, how Paul describes the tension that he feels. And if this is you, feel free to say amen at the end. This is what Paul says. And Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 16, and verses 18 and 19. He says, I do not understand what I do. Can I get a good amen for that? For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that's what I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. In other words, I believe that God's principles are best for my life. For if I have the desire to do what is good... But I cannot carry it out, for I do not do the good I want to do, amen? But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I do not want to stop when I see the hot sign on at Krispy Kreme. I know that it's not best for me, but I find myself turning into that parking lot more often than I would want. I do not want... To look at what Amazon Prime says I might also like. <laughs> but they know me better than I know myself. <laughs> so what do we do when we lose steam and fall short? Because here's what I know. The phrase try harder or just get back up, it doesn't work, does it? Because if it did, we would just hop back on and keep on going. But that's not what happens. What happens is we kind of kick the can down the road a little bit longer. Or we live in denial that we ever wanted to change that part of our life. And we begin to even change the narrative around what our hope was for our health. Or what our hope was for our finances. Or what our hope was for our marriage. Or what our hope was for our future. And instead we say, this is, this is what I've got. Is there a way to actually change? Is there a way to keep changing when that internal desire to change begins to wane? 
Now, there's a great book written by a man by the name of, name of Simon Sinek a uh, number of years ago called Start With Why. And Sinek said that there are two ways in which we can really think about uh, how we live our lives. One is to start with how. In other words, if we're thinking about change, you step onto the, the scale and you ask yourself this question, how am I going to lose 10 pounds? Or you open up your bank account and you say, how are we going to get out of this financial mess? Cynic says that for many of us, this is the way that we live. We, we see a problem in our life and we begin by asking the question, how do I fix it? Or what needs to be done in order to get out of this situation? But in his book, Cynic says that the most compelling people, the most compelling organizations, the most compelling movements, they don't start by asking the question, how or what? They ask a very different question. He says that they start with why? Would you say why with me? One, two, three, why? If you're taking notes, write that down. Start with why. What we'll find today as we go back to the anchor text of our series in Romans chapter 12 is that Paul is going to lay out for us not just how or what, which he has done in Romans chapter 12 verse 2, which we've looked at over the first two weeks of this series. But Paul actually introduces to us the reason why in verse 1. And here's what I need you to get. I'm convinced that if we get our why right, our capacity to continue to change, to continue to move forward, increases exponentially and overcomes the lack of internal desire in us to change when we've decided that that has waned. See, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, this is the way that we've read it. It says this, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his pleasing and perfect will. So in this series, we've really leaned into verse 2, right? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is how and what. Paul is saying, if you want to learn how to be transformed, if you want to see change, you start with the, the how and the what. You've got to change your thinking, because when you change your thinking, that leads to different actions. Different actions lead to different habits, and different habits lead to a different lifestyle, and a different lifestyle leads to a different legacy. But Paul, in his brilliance doesn't start with verse 2, but he starts with verse 1. And so while we've looked at verse 2 today, I want to lean into verse 1. Because if we look at verse 1, we'll find the compelling reason why that will allow us to continue to move forward when our what's and our how's don't seem to be working out the way we wanted them to. Why? See, there's, there's a couple ways that we can think about this. And I know this. That if the reason why you want to change is not compelling... You won't stay consistent when the desire to change wanes. For example, I want to look good during beach season. Angle stop you at the drive-thru. I want to save for retirement. Won't stop you when it's been a hard day. Then online shopping awaits. I don't want to ruin our relationship. Won't stop you when it's time to keep a boundary in another relationship, and the person that you're dating or married to has hurt you, and that person seems to have all of the things that the other person doesn't. I don't want to be angry. Won't stop you 
when your kids draw a red marker all over your brand new couch. I'm still angry. (laughs) So what why is compelling enough to lead us to lean into change? Well, Paul gives it to us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and this is the line. This is our why. We start with why. In view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. See, Paul gives us verse 2, which is, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul gives us the how to lasting change, but before verse 2, verse 1, he gives us the why. He says the reason why we change is not because we're going to get in trouble if we don't. The reason why we change isn't because if we don't, we're going to lose out, lose our place, or lose our spot. The reason why we stay in the game when it comes to change isn't because of what they think or what she says or what's going to happen if we don't. The reason why we change, Paul says, is in view of God's mercy. Paul is challenging us to think about what God has done for us and to shift our perspective as to why we change in the first place. He's arguing that the primary way we change is by having the right perspective on mercy. Mercy is the moment your back is against the wall. You have no more moves. You have no more options. There is nothing you can do to help your situation, and someone decides to be kind anyway. And this is what Paul is saying is our motivation. That when your back is against the wall, God has decided to be kind anyway. Mercy. Mercy. Um, this week I was uh, flying out of the Pensacola airport. Uh, and um, as I'm flying out of the airport, I uh, get through, um, you know, check-in, and, and I go to find some food. And um, I'm flying Holy Spirit Airlines, by the way, so I waited four hours for my flight. You know how that goes. It's a great way to, you know, grow the faith. And, um, and I'm hungry, and I'm hungry. And so I begin to look at what's available in the Pensacola airport, and there are not many options. But there is the provision of God. There is a Chick-fil-A that is there. And so... Um, I run over to the Chick-fil-A, I try to grab uh, some lunch, and come to find out that all of the card readers for the entire airport are down. I do not have cash, and so there is a big gap between me and the desire of my heart. Like, there's a huge gap. So I go back three or four times, trying to figure out, like, surely the, the card reader is going to work at this point. An hour goes by, it's not better. Two hours goes by, it's not better. And then the third hour, uh, as I go back, and we're about to board this flight, I've not eaten for a number of hours, um, I, I recognize that the card reader's not working, and then like a last-ditch effort, I have to confess this to you, um, I spoke a little bit higher of volume, hoping that someone around me might hear of my predicament and step in and be a merciful person. <laughs> and so I say... Man, I'm so sad that this card reader is not working. All I have are credit cards with me, and I just really wish that me and my poor wife could have some Chick-fil-A. And the guy steps up, and he says, I've heard of your plight. Here's $20, young man. Don't worry, I've been moving the money back. But, But that's mercy. Mercy is my back against the wall, no options in front of me. I need someone to intervene. 
And Paul wants us to think about change in light of God's intervention in our life. Paul wants you to recognize the reason why you're called to change, the reason why you're called to grow, is not because of what you lose if you don't, but because God loves you so much that he's empowered you to be able to change. That God wants you to change because he's got a plan for your life. That God wants you to change because he's got great things in order and in store for you. And the invitation to change is not based out of fear, but it's an invitation of love. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is as true as the gravity that holds you to the ground. Every eye on me, if you're watching online, lock in right here. If you follow Jesus, your eternity is secure. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, there is a place in heaven for you. If nothing ever gets better in your life, what God has declared over you to be true is the truest thing about you. You are loved, you are accepted, you belong, and there is room for you in the family of God because of the mercy of God. And when we begin to think about change that way, when our why is right, when the why is no longer about just what I can get out of this in the temporary moment, but what God has done for me, all of a sudden, when the why is right, the power to change becomes one that can be sustained. So I want to I give you... I want to give you three ways in which we change in view of God's mercy. Here's the first one. You can write this down. In view of God's mercy, our reasons for change change. Say that again. In view of God's mercy, our reasons for change change. See, when I see God's mercy on my life, change is no longer about getting what I want. It's about living in gratitude to what he's already given. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 continues, and he says, In view of God's mercy, listen to this, offer your bodies, meaning our actual physical bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, the lie of our culture today is that you can consume what you want, drink what you want, indulge in what you want, and feed yourself whatever you want because it's your body and you can do what you want with your body. We live in a culture that says that change is not a a we thing, it's a me thing. If I want to change my health, I get to change it, but nobody gets to tell me if I want to or not. If I want to change my anger issue, that's on me. But if I just want to say it's up to my ethnic heritage, I'm just angry. I'm not angry. I'm just this, you know, fill in the blank, right? If that's what I want to do, it's up to me. We live in a culture that says as long as it doesn't hurt someone else, it doesn't matter. I don't need to change things about me if the things about me aren't impacting anybody else around me, right? But the problem is, is that it does hurt someone else. It does. And I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm talking about the person inside of you. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, these are Paul's words. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of what? The Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In other words, you and the Holy Spirit are roommates. You, you get what I'm saying here? That what I watch, the Holy Spirit watches. What I listen to, the Holy Spirit listens to. How I treat my body, it's how the Holy Spirit experiences me. And all of a sudden, this becomes a lot more practical, doesn't it? Because what it reminds us continually is, oh, I'm in relationship with the God of the universe. That the Holy Spirit dwells with me. Literally, the word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is one who dwells with. He's moved in. He takes residence. He's got a room in the house. You share a kitchen and a bathroom and a foyer or foyer, depending on where you're from, and a pool. If you're bougie like that, you got, that's, that's it. And I think it's important for us to remember this. That the reasons for change are far more compelling for me when I recognize that it's not just about me, but it's about the place that I create, the hospitality that I have for the Holy Spirit. Because you know it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Meaning, I can create a life that is inhospitable to God's presence in my life. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 to 32. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. But instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. This is what Paul is trying to help us understand. That the reason why we change and why we lean into change, the, the reasons for our change are not so much about what we get out of it, but the relationship that we have with God as a result of it. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So, so let me make this incredibly practical, okay? I'm, I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable with you today, and so if you hold this against me, I'll never do it again, all right? So here we go. Um, is my life hospitable to the Holy Spirit? Um, when I was in high school, physical health mattered to me because I wanted to make varsity when I was in high school, and I wanted to make the thousand-point club. When I got married, physical health mattered to me because of the honeymoon, okay? Like, I'm going to be real with you. Like, that was it. When I got my first life insurance exam, physical health mattered to me because I didn't want to pay the high premium, like if I'm real. But now, now I'm seeing my physical health through the lens of mercy, through the lens of, man, the Holy Spirit indwells me. I'm in relationship with God. And that has changed the way that I think about my physical health. Because I want to live in a way that allows God to use me for as long as he wants. 
And I want to steward what he's given me for as long as he'd allow me to. You see, if the reason why you want your finances to be figured out is so that you can retire, that will not be a compelling enough reason for you. Because there are way too many temptations along the road, way too many $9 Starbucks drinks to have on a stressful day, way too many things to order online than it is to set that money aside, right? But if the goal is to recognize everything that God has given me, he's given me as a good resource that I could deploy for the sake of his glory and the good of others, that's going to be a more compelling reason to get your finances under control. It's like, I, I, I want to have a good marriage because I just want to make sure that we stay married. I, I don't want to be like my parents who got a divorce. You know what a really uncompelling reason to try and do something is? As a way to get back at those that did it wrong to you. I, I, don't want, I want to be a good parent because I don't want to be a bad parent like my parents. Here's what I promise you will happen. You will do the same things that your parents did or you will overcorrect in a way that actually hurts your kids. But if I want to have a good marriage because God has given me a person that he's created in his image that he loves, that he was willing to die for, and he was willing to trust me with that relationship so that I might steward that person and love that person and care for that person, well, I want to work on my anger issue, not because I don't like the conflict that comes as a result. I want to work on my anger issue because I want to be the best communicator of love that that person has in their life because God's allowed me to be that in their life. Do you see the difference? I don't want to just be a good parent because my parents were bad. I want to be a good parent because, because the next generation is getting their view of God from the way in which I choose to live and love and lead. Single folks. I, I don't want to be a part of hookup culture because I don't like how it makes me feel after I've hooked up with somebody. It's not going to be compelling, is it? Because there's this tension. There's a reason why hookup, hookup culture exists. And because, well, part of it is because it feels good in the moment. But when we begin to say, I don't, I don't want to be a part of hookup culture because... Because God has made me valuable and worthy of dignity. And I don't need another relationship to complete me because God, the Holy Spirit, dwells with me. He's given me good friends and good community and a great purpose. All of a sudden, temptation no longer becomes as significant because you've replaced that thing with something that's far better. See, we've got to rethink and reallocate our energy to the reasons why. Hear me say this. I think it's so important for us to understand this this morning. That the best way to ensure lasting change in your life is to get your eyes off of you and get your eyes on to him. So I want to free some people up here for a moment. Some of you want to change certain aspects of your life and your reason why is not a compelling reason why. And I would say you're probably wasting some of your time. Instead, what I would encourage you to do is ask yourself, in view of God's mercy and what he's done for me, what do I want to change? Because if you get your why right, then your hows and your whats will follow. Here's the second thing. Um, our expectations for change change. 
when we view change in light of God's mercy, our expectations for change change. Um, so earlier this week, I rented a car, and um, I called, got it all set up, and uh, took an Uber, uh, drove downtown to pick up the car because it was cheaper to rent the car from downtown than from the airport. I thought I was getting away with something slick and cool. Until I arrive at the airport, um, or I arrive at the downtown location, and realize that there is 10 people in this little office waiting for uh, someone to show up with keys. There's one person that is working this rental agency. Um, one hour goes by, two hours go by, three hours go by. Don't travel with me is what I'm saying. That, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. And I've got to be honest, I was very, very upset. Like, the Lord was working on my heart that day because I had some expectations. My daughter had a a volleyball tournament, a a semifinal game that I wanted to get to. So I'd scheduled this to pick up the car earlier so I could go and catch her game and then head out on a trip that I needed to take. But when I arrive there, I'm realizing that it's going to be a lot longer. We'll come to find out when it's my turn in line um, that the company confirmed 16 reservations, but they only had two cars on the lot. And so the gentleman speaking to me says, hey, I'm sorry, I don't have a car for you. And I said, well, when do you think you might have a car? And he says, well, not today. (laughs) And I said, well, I'm going to pray for you because that's not what I want to do. Like that, that's where, that's where I was. I was just upset. One hour goes by, two hours go by, three hours go by. And by the third hour, the guy looks at me and realizes, this guy's not going anywhere. And magically, a car appeared. I got in the car, and I went on my way. I was very upset because I had an expectation on what was going to happen. I expected that I was going to reserve the vehicle, show up at the location, speak with someone at the counter, get in the car, and go on my merry way. You ever been in a situation before where your expectations were not met? Yeah. I think when we don't have the right why for our reasons for change, we can often expect that change is supposed to happen faster than it does. And when we don't see change in our life at the speed that we want it to happen, and when we don't see change in the lives of the people around us in the pace that we want it to happen, we begin to get frustrated we kind of throw in the towel and we quit quit faster than we ought. See, if my transformation is a process in partnership with the Holy Spirit, then it means that I'm going to have to move at his pace. Paul continues and explains this in Romans chapter 7, that there's a war being waged. He says, now if if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. In other words, Paul says that there's a battle that is being fought. Do you see this? There's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. When you become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit plants his flag on the landscape of your soul. But winning a war is different than rebuilding a nation. Winning is easy, young man. Governing is harder. There is a very real battle that exists in our life 
between who we were before Jesus and who we're becoming. Jesus called it the flesh and the spirit. Paul calls it our old self and the new self. Theologians call this justification, that Jesus has won the war and declared you righteous. And sanctification, which is our ongoing formation in Jesus. Dallas Willard called it the renovation of the heart. But perhaps my favorite explanation of this tension comes from Pete Scazzaro and his book, Emotionally Healthy Leadership. Where he says, the Holy Spirit might be in your heart, but grandpa is still in your bones. See, we can get frustrated that when we pray and receive Jesus, everything just doesn't change overnight. But when we view change through the lens of mercy, it allows us to take a deep breath and realize this might take longer than we expected. Because we're on the operating table, but the surgery might take a little bit longer than we expected. We've boarded the plane, but... It might be a little bit longer before we get off the tarmac. Our Uber Eats order is on the way, but it's not arriving at the time that we expected. It's caught in our coosy traffic. (laughs) The promise of the gospel is that change is guaranteed. There will be a day where there is more, no more sin, no more shame, no more regretful decisions. There will be a day when we get a new body in glory. But the timeline might not be what we expected. And oftentimes we overestimate what can be done in the short term and underestimate what can be done in the long run. I mean, goodness, one habit on average takes 66 days to implement if we do it every single day in our life. John Hayes was a professor of cognitive psychology at Carnegie Mellon, and he fell in love with excellence and expertise. And he decided to to look at the 500 most famous um, operas and musical pieces, uh, classical music that had ever been written. Uh, And he decided to study these 500 pieces and look at the 76 composers that had made them. And what he noted as he looked at these 76 composers and these 500 pieces of beautiful art that we know as compelling music, he found that none of those pieces had been written until 10 years after people had started writing music. He calls it 10 years of silence. Um, The famous comedian Bill Murray, who people have loved his humor for such a long time, so that he spent 10 years practicing, four years refining, and then four years later became who he is. We often overestimate what can be done in the short term and underestimate what can be done in the long term. And here's what I know about the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit loves to move at his pace, not at ours. And it's okay. I mean, I want to give you just one more example so I can give you a context for the pace in which the Holy Spirit can move when it comes to transformation. So we describe Christ as fully God and fully man. We call that the hypostatic union. This is a core essential tenet of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It comes from creeds that have been uh, designed to articulate what Christian faith is. The Nicene Creed was first articulated in 325 A.D., It was amended in 381 A.D. The New Testament canon that we have is our New Testament scriptures that I teach from every single week. That was codified in 391 
A.D. And the concept of the hypostatic union was clarified at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 A.D. In other words, there was a 125-year process of people exploring the scriptures, defining terms, and understanding the context before we got to where we got. And the Holy Spirit was not stressed out about that. For something as significant and as important as our understanding of our faith, the Holy Spirit was not stressed out about a 125-year process. So maybe we ought to calm down and not stress out in our six-month, nine-month, or 10 or 20, or even for the lifetime that we're here on earth process. Because we are a work in progress. Would you turn to somebody and say, you are a work in progress. Say, you are a work in progress. Turn to the other person and say, it's probably going to take longer for you. It's probably going to take longer for you. So listen to me. Listen to me. God's timetable is not the same as ours. He doesn't seem to be in the rush that we're in. So parents, I want to speak specifically to you just for a moment. Allow time for the Holy Spirit to work it out. Allow time for the Holy Spirit to work it out. A lot of what we're stressed about right now, God will work out in due time. Our job is to love, to listen, provide, and protect. And in your own life, don't quit. Don't quit. James Clear writes this great book called Atomic Habits, and he says, Changes that seem small and unimportant at first will compound and turn into remarkable results if you're willing to stick with them for years. 1% improvement day over day for 365 days leads to you becoming 37 times better at the thing that you first started. The name of the game is not speed. The name of the game is consistency. The name of the game is having a long devotion in one direction, as Eugene Peterson puts it. See, when I view change through the lens of mercy, I remember I don't have to change now, and I don't have to get it figured out now out of fear. But because I'm loved by God, I get to change in partnership with the Holy Spirit. So my reasons for change change. And my expectations for change change. Which allow me to extend mercy and grace to myself and mercy and grace to those around me. The last but not least, our failures in change and the impacts they have on us, they change as well. You see, in our culture, the lie that we've been taught is that when I fail to change, I am a failure. But in view of God's mercy, recognizing we change as a result of God's mercy, that's our why, I get to celebrate my progress instead of penalize myself for my imperfection. The word that I would sense the Lord say to us is, I'm less concerned about where we are in the process, Colin, than the direction that we're headed. Which is why Paul, Paul who complains in Romans 7 saying, I don't know why I do what I do because what I want to do, I don't do it. And what I don't want to do, I keep on doing that thing. Would say at the end of this passage in Romans 7, he would say, what a wretched man I am. Meaning, what a messed up guy I am. What an imperfect person I am. 
He poses this question. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he says this. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I came here today to tell you the war has already been won. You might lose some battles along the way, but the war has already been won. Jesus has already declared victory over your life, and you only lose when you decide to stop. Proverbs 24, 16 says this, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. The definition of godliness isn't lack of failure. It's resilience to get up and keep on going because you know that change is not what makes you right in the family of God. Jesus is what makes you right in the family of God. Um, when my kids learned how to walk, um, for each of them, it's, it's been an interesting story. But I will never forget when my first, my, my oldest, began to walk. Um, she's a beautiful kid. Uh, but back in that day, like most kids, you know this, um, her head was way bigger than her body. Y'all remember that kind of season in the life of, you know, a kid? And I remember this day. We were in our first house that we bought off of Dean Road. We had this really cheap, ugly-looking um, uh, rug that I think somebody donated to us. If you're in the room, I apologize. It was great. It was just, just cheap rug. And I remember we moved the coffee table over, and Emma was on one side of the couch, and I was on the other. And I remember that, that we would kind of stand her up, and then when she would start walking, that big head would flop forward, and we should, she would start going like this, right? Let me tell you this. Inevitably, because she was learning to walk, Emma would fall flat on her face. And there was never a moment in my life, there was never a category in my mind that the thing that I was supposed to do or say to Emma when she fell flat on her face was get up and try harder. You're an outer bridge. We know how to walk. No. I was overjoyed with tears in my eyes because that's my daughter learning to walk to her daddy. And I need you to hear this. This is the gospel of grace. In view of God's mercy, you are his beloved, taking steps towards your father. You already belong in the family. You're already home. Change is a gift that God gives you to be in closer relationship with him. So with that in mind, would you stand today? And we close out this series today the way we change. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want to invite you to, to mark this moment by reflecting on your own journey with the Lord. Because we know this, that if we change the way we think, our thoughts lead to different actions. Our actions lead to different habits. Our habits lead to different lifestyles, and our lifestyle will lead to a better legacy. But there will be inevitable moments where we fall short. There will be inevitable moments where we trip over our own feet. There will be inevitable moments when we fall off the bandwagon. But when we understand that we change in view of God's mercy, our reasons for change change. Our expectations for change change. And the impact that failure has on us changes as well. Because the godly person just gets back up. 
So today, I want to invite you to consider what is the next step that God is calling you to? And when you hear the thing that you sense the Holy Spirit saying, this is your space to to take a step, I want you to open your hands. This is a sign to him saying, God, I hear you and I see you. For some of us, um, you need a better why. The reason why you want to change your health or your finances or your anger issue or your relationship issue or your habit, it's, it's been too focused on you and not on your relationship with God and what, what God wants for you. Some of us have been pursuing health out of vanity, finance out of security, relationship out of fear. And God wants to say, there's a better reason why. If that's you, would you open your hand today? For others of us, our invitation is to view, change the lens of God's mercy and, and change our expectations on change. We want it now, and God's saying, would you, would you trust me in the process? And maybe that's for you. You need to trust God in the process. You've been beating yourself up about the fact that you can't get further faster. Or it's about somebody that you love. And God's saying, would you, would you trust me to do what I do? If that's you, would you open your hands? And lastly, for some of us, that we've allowed a failure of our past to prevent us from stepping forward into the future God has for us. We're still holding on to the regretful decision we made and it's shaping our choices. We're still functioning and operating out of fear instead of love. And I came here today to tell you that what makes you godly is not how good you can be. What makes you godly is what Christ has done for you and the godly person just gets back up. And maybe that's what you hear today. The Lord's saying, get back up. Get back up. Get back up. Because he wants to walk with you. Your father sees you with nothing but eyes of love and compassion. Father, we pray that we would truly take stock of the way that we change. That, Father, in the places in our heart that need to be renovated, the places, Father, where we have we have succumbed to the culture's lie that changes about us instead of the invitation to partner with you because change is about what you want to do in our life. God, we ask you to guide us and lead us. For those of us that are holding on and praying for someone else today, God, would you give us the patience we need to trust that you're still at work in their life. And God, for those of us that have fallen off, thrown in the towel, called it quits, would you give us the mercy we need to get back up? Because this is the way we change. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.